welcome to Laboring in Employment, a monthly podcast series on Asia employment law issues. I'm Vincy. And I'm Carl. We are part of the Simmons & Simmons Asia employment team. Vincy, it's been a while since we've done one of these, hasn't it? Yes, it has. For today's discussion, I was wondering if you've encountered a situation where an employee signs an employment contract but subsequently gets cold feet and decides not to join the company. Funny you should ask. There was a recent case in Singapore on this point. In that case, the employee was made a counteroffer by his existing employer shortly before his commencement date with his new employer. Unsurprisingly, the new employee accepted the counteroffer and notified the new employer of his change of mind. The new employer then sued the employee for a sum equivalent to the entire three-year fixed term of the contract. That sounds very heavy-handed. What was the new employer's basis for that? The employee had negotiated a guaranteed three-year term of employment and to be compensated for a sum equivalent to his salary for the balance term if he was terminated before the end of the fixed term. This was then made a mutual obligation in the contract So if the employee chose to leave before the three-year fixed term ended, he would similarly have to also pay the company a sum equivalent for the salary for the balance term. I think the key question is whether the employee had already commenced employment at the time he notified the company of his intention not to join. Is that right? Yes, that was the main issue. If the employee had not yet commenced employment, the company was only entitled to one month's salary in lieu of compensation. But if the employee had already commenced employment, the company would be entitled to some equivalent to the employee's salary for the entire fixed term. I won't bore you with the details, but the Singapore court held on the facts that the employee had not yet commenced employment, so the company was only entitled to one month's salary. I'm guessing the Singapore court found that the payment term was an unenforceable penalty clause? You're absolutely spot on. As you know, the test in Singapore in determining whether a term is a penalty clause is whether the term provides a genuine pre-estimate of the loss at the time of contracting. That's a different test to the one followed by the Hong Kong court these days. Although the Hong Kong courts used to follow the Dunlop test adopted by Singapore courts, which looks at whether the sum payable is a genuine pre-estimate of loss, the Hong Kong courts have recently adopted the new English position in Cavendish Square, which applies a broader legitimate interest test. I'll talk more about this later. Yes, let's come on to that in a minute. But to round this off, the company argued that the term was a genuine pre-estimate of loss because it wouldn't have been able to replace the employee for the entire three-year term. The court didn't accept this argument because if the employee had not asked to be assured of three years worth of salary, the company would have been content to contract on the basis that either of them could terminate the contract with six months notice. Moreover, in the case of a termination before the commencement of employment, the terminating party only had to pay one month's salary as compensation. The absurdity of the company's argument was laid bare on basis of the difference a day would make. If the employee decided not to join the company the day before the commencement date, he would only have to pay one month's salary. But if he decided to quit on his first day of work, he would have to pay the company three years worth of his salary 
in spite of the fact that there was little difference between the two scenarios. Moreover, it is also apparent that the sliding scale of compensation proportionate to the balance of the employee's fixed term had no relevance to the time the company would need to replace him. If the employee joined the company for a short while, the disruption cost to the company by his departure would logically be less than had he joined for a long time before leaving. Yet the employee would have to pay more compensation despite having caused less disruption. A similar issue was considered by the Hong Kong Court of Appeal recently. A teacher accepted an offer of employment from a school. The employment contract was expressed to be immediately effective upon acceptance of the offer. Shortly before the school term was due to start, the teacher reneged on the contract and informed the school that he would not be reporting for duty. So the teacher did not give notice or pay salary in lieu of notice as was required under the contract? Yes, the school commenced proceedings in the labor tribunal against the teacher for breach of contract. The labor tribunal ordered the teacher to make a payment in lieu of notice to the school, and this decision was upheld by the Court of Appeal. I'm guessing the teacher tried to argue that the termination provision requiring him to pay payment in lieu of notice was an unenforceable penalty clause. Yes, that's right. The termination provision stated that either party could terminate the employment by giving the other three months notice in writing or payment in lieu thereof. In deciding whether this provision constituted a penalty clause, the Court of Appeal adopted the new test set out by the UK Supreme Court in Cavendish Square. This involved a two-step inquiry. First, the court must decide whether the provision is a contractually agreed term, which is a primary obligation to pay, or whether the sum is in the nature of damages for breach of contract, which is a secondary obligation arising from a breach of a primary obligation. If it is a primary obligation, then the doctrine of penalty wouldn't be engaged. Second, the court must identify the legitimate interest of the innocent party being protected by the clause and assess whether the amount stipulated is disproportionate to such interest. On the facts, the Court of Appeal found that the obligation to make payment in lieu was a primary obligation as it was a contractually agreed mechanism for the termination of the contract. The termination provision was therefore not a penalty clause. It was instead a claim for a recovery of debt arising from a contractually agreed term. The Court of Appeal further noted that even if the obligation to make payment in lieu was a secondary obligation, the provision would still be enforceable since the payment of three months salary was not disproportionate to the school's legitimate interest in enforcing the contract, particularly having regard to the difficulties the school would face in appointing a replacement teacher since the contract was executed very close to the start of the new academic year. By that line of reasoning, does that mean the Hong Kong court would have no difficulty upholding, for example, a three-year notice period, like our case in Singapore earlier? If on the basis that the payment in lieu obligation is a contractually agreed term and therefore a primary obligation, then yes, since it wouldn't be a penalty clause. However, it might be difficult to argue that such an extensive notice period 
could be said to be a contractually agreed mechanism for the termination of the contract. The court may well find that such a provision is actually a secondary obligation. In other words, damages for breach of contract. If so, it may be hard to justify why it would take three years for the school to find a replacement teacher. The payment could be considered disproportionate to the school's legitimate interest, and hence a penalty. A three-year notice period is admittedly an extreme example. Coming back to the Hong Kong case with this three-month notice period, what do you make of the fact that the teacher didn't actually commence work for the school? That's a good question. The Court of Appeal found that, as it was the party's agreement for the termination provision to take effect immediately upon the signing of the contract, both parties were accordingly bound by the requirement to give three months' notice or payment in lieu should any of them wish to terminate the contract, even if it occurred before the commencement of the teacher's actual work. This is one of those areas where Hong Kong and Singapore have taken fairly divergent views and where similarly drafted contracts, which many of our MNC clients have, may still lead to very different outcomes. Yes, in Hong Kong, the adoption of the Cavendish Square approach to penalty clauses means that a clause may be enforceable even if it does not represent a genuine pre-estimate of loss. So long as it is carefully framed as a primary obligation, rather than a secondary obligation triggered by a breach of contract. That seems to be a less rigid approach than the Dunlop pneumatic position affirmed by the Singapore courts, which looks at the issue in almost purely economic terms of whether the sum is a genuine pre-estimate of the loss suffered by the party. Of course, there may still be practical challenges for employers in obtaining payment from the reneging employee and the payment of notice may be regarded by an employer as scant recompense for the disruption caused to their business by an employee backing out at the last minute. But if nothing else, it is a useful deterrent for employers in a tight labor market where competition for talent is fierce. That's absolutely right, Vinci. There are a couple of additional practical points worth highlighting, which employers should bear in mind when drafting these termination clauses. Firstly, and as evident from the Singapore case, the courts may have regard to extrinsic evidence in determining what the party's intentions were. Pre-contractual negotiations may therefore influence the court's view on whether the notice period was intended to be punitive in nature. Second, and many employers seem to forget this, a notice period, particularly when used in combination with a garden leave clause, is an intended to be a convenient shorthand for a non-compete clause, but should instead be referable to the amount of time the employer would actually need to find a suitable replacement for the role. Thanks, Carl. That concludes our discussion for today. This has been really interesting. Yes, indeed, and we hope you found this useful. If you have any questions, do reach out to either of us. Otherwise, please stay tuned for our next episode. Bye for now.